Special thanks to our choir. Uh, you'll be hearing from them throughout the week, uh, Maundy Thursday and Easter Sunday as well. Uh, good morning. I'd like to say good morning to you also. I'm Camper Mundy, associate pastor here, so special welcome to those of you who are visiting. We're glad that you're joining with us this morning. And I hope you're enjoying Williamsburg. I've been here for about a year and a half, a little over that. And I tell you, one of the things that I've noticed about Williamsburg, besides Colonial Williamsburg, is the fact that there are a lot of grandparents that live here. Now, I grew up in Georgia, and I just assumed every grandparent in the U.S. moved to Florida when they retired. But I see some of you have found your way here to Williamsburg. Well, I bring that up, actually, because I'm going to tell you a little bit about my grandmother, who lives outside of Tampa. Uh, my, my grandmother, uh, affectionately known as Grandmommy, is a, uh, a fun-loving, kind of crazy 95-year-old. Uh, she is still on her toes, sharp mind, has a lot of fun. Now, she's 95, but my grandfather died about 25 years ago, so she's been on her own for quite some time. However, she has stayed the course for the most part, remained independent. Uh, She can be tough and tenacious. Uh, She also can be very sweet and affectionate. Now, Heather and I uh, flew down to Florida for her 90th birthday, and it Just shortly after, really I think it was just a number of days after her 90th birthday, she began going blind in one of her eyes. And of course, she became gripped with fear and anxiety. What what if I lose my my eyesight completely? Then I'm going to have to depend on other people. I'll lose my independence. Is there anyone that I can really trust? Anyone worthy of that trust? And of course, that brings the question home for us. In whom or in what do I ultimately trust in? In whom or in what do I ultimately place my trust? And that's the question that I want you to consider this morning. And that question brings us to our passage this morning, Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 43. It's found on page 878 of your pew Bible, 878. And yes, we are back in the Gospel of Luke. If you have been with us at least since Advent and Christmas, you'll remember back during that season we were in Luke, each week considering the Gospel through the eyes of the various people who were impacted by Jesus' birth. Well, Jesus' birth is obviously connected to his life and his death and his resurrection. And so that brings us back to Luke, because Christmas and Easter really belong together. And so I hope this will help us see them uh, in light together. Now, today, as you know, is Palm Sunday, uh, one week before Easter And today we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem where he is hailed as king. But we know how the story continues. We know that just a few days after entering, being hailed as king, he is rejected and he is nailed to a cross. Because you see, in the end, the people didn't see clearly. In fact, they were blind. They were spiritually blind. 
And so this morning, as we journey toward Jerusalem, we're going to make a stop. We're going to make a stop in Jericho, where we're going to encounter a blind man. We're going to seek to see Jesus through his eyes. Well, again, our text is Luke chapter 18, uh, verses 35 to 43. And I'm actually going to read it in the larger context, which includes the triumphal entry. But let's take a moment to pray. Our Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have called us together this morning. That we might worship you. That we might hear from you. That we might see you. And we pray that you would open our eyes. That we might see Jesus. And so would you open your word to us. And us to your word. For we need to hear from you. We need to see you. We need to be transformed by you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So now hear the word of God from Luke chapters 18 and 19. Uh, beginning with verse 31 of chapter 18. In taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Verse 28 of chapter 19. And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where, on entering, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down from Mount, the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. They were saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. 
peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is the word of God. Well, one of the things that I love about the gospel writer Luke, who wrote, of course, the gospel of Luke and also Acts, as you may remember, one of the things that I love about him is he is a master storyteller. He can say so much in very few words, which is quite different from most preachers. But he does an amazing job of of saying a lot in just a little and and does it in a masterful way. And in fact, we will see that this morning, and that's what's going to guide us through, is we take a look at Jesus' healing of this blind beggar. And so what Luke does is he sets the stage, and then immediately he creates some tension. Then he introduces suspense and intrigue, and finally... He brings us to the climax and resolution in just a matter of verses. And so let's journey together through this story. First, Luke sets the stage, verses 35 to 37. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, Jericho is just outside of Jerusalem, which is where Jesus is headed. And Luke has already reminded us of why Jesus is going there just a few verses before. And we know that Jesus is with with the twelve, the twelve disciples. But here we encounter this crowd. There are a whole lot of people uh, that are headed to Jerusalem. Now, now who are these folks? Well, they're they're religious pilgrims. Uh, They're Jews. They're on their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the annual Passover feast. And so there have been people passing through Jericho over the last number of days and and will continue to do so. And so at this time, a lot of the poor would come to the streets and would ask for money and the the passerbys would, would give them alms. So this blind beggar is sitting there on the side of the road, but he can tell something is a little different today. Maybe there's a little more electricity in the air. The the people seem more excited. But he asks, what's going on? And so people in the crowd are telling him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And they're probably saying this in an annoyed tone. You see, they're not even giving alms. They're just, don't bother us. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. We don't want to be bothered by you. They're enjoying too much their their pseudo-celebrity status because they are being seen with an important person. Now, maybe you know what that's like. I remember being at an event in Atlanta one time and there was Newt Gingrich. And I was like, I bet I can just kind of scoot over and kind of hang out near Newt. (laughs) So I did. I think I even said, hey, Heather, just get a picture when I'm close. But you know what it's like. You want to you hang out and, and, and you just kind of absorb a little, a little of that. I'm hanging out with the political elite. Yes, that's what I normally do. So these people are caught up in the celebrity status of Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, so Luke has set the stage for us. Well, next, he creates some tension. Verses 38 and 39. And the blind man cried out. Jesus, Son of David, 
have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, this yelling out is breaking the social rules. This is not the social norm. This is not what is expected. You know, we come together on a Sunday morning. We gather for a a Sunday morning worship service and the preaching of the word. And, you know, I really don't expect any of you to all of a sudden yell out, though I did get an amen this morning. But if that happened, you can imagine the discomfort that we would feel. In fact, I was preaching once and someone did yell out in the middle of the service and there was a great deal of discomfort. Well, this is breaking a social rule and the people do not like it. But notice what he's yelling. It's a cry, a cry for mercy, a cry for compassion. And yet again, they're not even stopping to give alms which would be something culturally expected on this annual religious pilgrimage. Not only are they not paying attention to this man and are they bothered by him, but they are telling him to be quiet, to shut up, to get away. They see him as insignificant, annoying, unworthy. And I wonder if the blind man thought, for once... I will not be silenced by the crowd. And so he yells louder, bold and persistent. He lays it all out on the line. Nothing else matters except Jesus. And it's interesting to note the crowd, when he asks what's going on, the crowd refers to Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. It's his hometown identity. It'd be like those of you that know Chris Tewksbury. She's from Williamsburg. I could say Chris of Williamsburg. Little hometown identity. But the blind man calls out to Jesus, son of David, declaring his royal, divine identity. Son of David being a title for God's chosen king, God's anointed one, who would come and set all things right. Okay, so Luke has set the stage, he's created a bit of tension, and now Luke introduces suspense and intrigue, verses 40 and 41. And Jesus stopped and commanded the man be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Jesus hears the blind man cry out. And he stops. And of course, the rest of the crowd would stop with him, wondering what is going to happen. And like a king, he orders that the man be brought to him. But then, like a servant, he asks the man what he can do for him. What do you want me to do for you? Now, we know how the story goes, and so we may come across the question and go, that's a bit odd. He's blind. You're Jesus Just heal him. But do you know what it's like when someone just presumes they know what you need, what you want? I do that quite often with my wife, Heather. Uh, She will be talking about something and I will just presume I can fix it and I can tell her the right way to do things. And it's not very respectful, right? (laughs) I'm learning slowly. 
But what Jesus is doing here is he is turning the tide. Because this blind man has just been rebuked. He has been marginalized. He has been cut off from the community, pushed out of their circle. And now Jesus calls him, calls him to the center of the circle, erasing the margins that divided. And Jesus asks him a question. Jesus recognizes him as a human being. And in asking this question, Jesus is bestowing dignity upon the outcast, empowering the powerless. He's inviting this man to define what mercy will look like. Now, the blind man could have simply asked for a chunk of change, but he doesn't. The blind man goes for broke. He says, I want to see. And I wonder, I wonder if maybe Jesus smiled and thought, man, you already see better than anyone else in this crowd. Yes, the blind man sees Jesus for who he really is. So Luke has set the stage for us. He's created this tension. He's now introduced the suspense and the intrigue. And finally, Luke brings us to the climax and the resolution. Verses 42 to 43. And Jesus said to the man, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Now, this is the part of the story that Luke has been building up to. And he gets our attention. Luke gets our attention by using three exclamation points. Okay, I see you looking down for the grammar right now. No, not, it's not in the, the English grammar that we know. But you know how it is when we write a letter or an email and we want to emphasize something. We put an exclamation point. If we really, really want to emphasize it, we put three. One, two, three. Well, three times Luke uses the Greek word anablepe, meaning recover sight. The blind man said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Then Jesus says, recover your sight. And then Luke records, immediately he recovered his sight. One, two, three. Three exclamation points. Luke wants us to pay special attention here. What is going on? Jesus proclaims, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Some translations... Your faith has healed you. Others has saved you. Well, why is that? Well, because Luke uses a word here that points to both physical healing and spiritual healing. And he intends the double meaning. Because it's a foretaste of all that's to come for those who would see Jesus. For those who would trust in him. It makes me think of J.C. Penney, not the department store, but the guy that actually got it started. The well-known Christian businessman, James Cash Penney. Now, like my grandmother, when he got into his 90s, he began going blind. But he never lost sight of Jesus. In fact, at one point he said, though my eyesight is failing, my vision grows stronger. Like the blind man. He trusted Jesus, whom he saw through the eyes of faith. Again, Jesus proclaims, your faith has made you well. Your faith. 
faith. I, I wonder if the writer of Hebrews may have thought of this blind man when he was defining faith in chapter 11. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then do you remember Jesus uh, talking to doubting Thomas? So after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples, but Thomas isn't there. The disciples are excited. Jesus leaves. Thomas comes back and they say, he is risen. Thomas says, no, no, no. I will not believe it until I see him with my own eyes, until I, I touch the wounds, put my hands in them. So Jesus comes and shows himself to Thomas. And immediately Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And do you remember what Jesus says to him? Thomas, you have seen, that is why you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In other words, blessed are those who have seen. Blessed are those who see with the eyes of faith. Now, faith is a word that gets thrown out a lot today. It can be politically correct to talk about faith. But we're not talking about the politically correct faith. We're not talking about a generic faith. Faith is not simply better belief in your situation. Faith is not merely the power of positive thinking. If I think well enough about this, it will be good. That's not what we're talking about. Because faith always has an object. And the object of true faith is a person. And that person is Jesus. And that is the faith that is being commended here. Faith. Maybe you've heard this acronym before. F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all, I trust Him. Faith is trusting in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And yet we all, every single one of us, struggle to trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And so we're confronted with that question. In whom or in what are you trusting? In other words, what is blinding you from seeing Jesus clearly? Any other, any other object of faith, anything else that we put our, our ultimate trust in is an idol, an idol of the heart. Whatever else we trust in to take care of us, to fulfill us, to give us meaning, security, significance, it's an idol. Whatever sets our priorities is our God. Now, idols... We, we all have them. It's not like a few of you have them and I don't and most of you don't and we're just going to pick on a few people right now. We all have them. We're all blinded by them. You, you're probably familiar with what Calvin said. Our hearts are idle factories. They're always looking at other things to trust in. Now, we may trust in Jesus for sure, but so many times it's trust in Jesus plus fill in the blank. And what are some of those other things that we trust? 
status, career, money, education, health, money, relationships, family, achievement. And did I mention money? Thank you. Did you feel that awkward moment? (laughs) You know, these things are not inherently bad. Uh, Not not at all. And, And in fact, you may have heard an idol defined this way before. Taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. Taking any of these things and making them ultimate things. And good things that we make into ultimate things need to be put in their proper place. And that's at the foot of the cross. To live by faith, we need our idols, our other gods, lowercase g, our false gods. We need them exposed so so that we can repent of them, crying out in confidence and humility, just like this blind man. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But how do we recognize our idols? How can we discover what things blind us? Well, to start, we must ask Jesus. We must ask Jesus by His Spirit to reveal those other things that we trust in, to reveal them to us. We must listen to Him through His Word and prayer, examining our lives within the context of a biblical community, the church, Now, this is not an easy thing to do. It's not necessarily very fun. In fact, just uh, Friday, when Hannah Elizabeth was born, I was taking a walk outside, and Kathy drove up, and she said, Oh, are you out praying for the Barretts? I said, No, I probably should be. I'm having one of my idols exposed at this moment. (laughs) And it didn't feel very good. But the Lord had convicted me of something that I was putting before him. And I needed to go confess that. I did pray for you guys, though. Glad everything turned out all right. (laughs) But again, remember, all of this is in the context of grace. And, you know, Luke gives us wonderful names for Jesus. We've seen Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus, son of David. He also refers to him as the great physician. And you know that when you go to a surgeon... The surgeon has to cut into you so that his or her hands of healing can reach in and touch the place that needs to be healed. Jesus is the great physician. He is a loving and skilled heart surgeon. It may be painful, but he will be gentle as we ask him to reveal these idols to us so that our hearts can be healed more and more, transformed more and more, that we might see Him more and more clearly. Now briefly, I want to give you five questions that might help expose some of your idols. Five, five questions that as, as you pray, God may use these uh, to answer what some of those other trusts are. Number one, what dominates your thoughts? 
What do you think about the most? Number two, what dominates your conversations? Now, I realize we are much more guarded about what we say than what we think. But particularly those conversations with the people that are closest to you. Okay, number three, where do you spend your time? Number four, where do you spend your money? And number five, what are you most afraid of losing? Or the flip side of that, what are you most afraid of never gaining? So again, what do you think about? What do you talk about? Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? And what are you most afraid of losing or never gaining? Whatever else we are trusting in besides Jesus, any of these good things that we have taken and made them into ultimate things, whether above or beside Jesus, they need to be put in their proper place under Jesus. We must lay them all at the foot of the cross and cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. I want to see to be freed from these things that blind me. Well, as we enter into this week, this week of remembering Jesus' life and death and resurrection, let's ask for our eyes to be opened. That we might see Him more clearly. That we might trust Him more fully. That we might follow Him more passionately. Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is our only hope. And faith in Him leads to sight. For in the end, believing is seeing. Let's pray. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Free us from the things that blind us. We thank you for the many good things that you have put in our lives. But we ask that you would turn, tune our hearts to sing your praise, to follow you and to trust in you alone. We thank you for your finished work on the cross a work that continues to flow into our lives today. We want to see you. We want to trust you. We want to follow you in faith. Would you do that work of grace in us? And we pray this confidently and with humility. In Jesus' name, amen.